Welcome to Northgate Bible Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast, where you can listen to our latest sermons, filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're outdoors, in the car, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. I know what y'all are thinking. Why haven't I thought of that before? I mean, (laughs) snowshoes are obviously the perfect thing to walk in when you go to church. I mean... That worked out so well for me. Or maybe not. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm walking in the wrong thing today because snowshoes maybe don't belong in church. In fact, if I didn't put these pieces of cardboard on the bottom, I would have left a trail of destruction behind me on the carpet. So maybe snowshoes aren't the greatest thing to walk in. Has anybody ever gone to an outdoor wedding and worn their nicest high heels? And as soon as you step into the grass, you realize, yeah, Uncle Ted hasn't. I haven't. (laughs) Oh, one more thing, because I move around a lot. We're going to turn this on. You realize as soon as you step into the grass, oh, I am not wearing the right thing to this wedding. Um, There's a lot of things that you could choose besides high heels or snowshoes when you're going to be going somewhere. And it's a silly illustration because it it helps me get up here because I'm nervous. But uh, I wanted to remind you guys that when we walk, it's important to walk in the right thing. Uh, I might have to take these off in the middle because it's ridiculous to even wear snowshoes in church. It's not the right thing to be walking in. And today we're going to talk about a walk in the spirit and walking in the right things. And maybe this week, as you guys put your shoes on for work or whatever, maybe you'll think to yourself, oh, am I walking in the right thing today? So I hope it just brings to your mind this week uh, the message of the words God has for you today. Um, First, we're going to pray, though, and get our minds in the right place here as we open up his word. And we're going to be in Romans 8. And uh, so you can open there. We'll pray, and then we'll get started. Dear God, please help us today as we are looking into your word as we read it. Um, It's not my words today that really matter. Uh, It's your words that are going to be going out. Uh, Your word is living and powerful. And there are some powerful words here today in Romans 8, and I just pray that they would reach our hearts. Uh, There are some of us who are are believers that we are in Christ, and there are some of us today who may not be. And I just pray that we would hear the words that we need to hear today, that we would be challenged to make a different decision with our life. And Um, As we open Romans 8, please give me a clear mind, and please give all of us an open heart to to accept what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Romans 8, and I'll just go ahead and read this passage. All right, let's try this out. Um, I tend to choose ESV, sometimes NASB, sometimes New King James Version, but today it's ESV version. Uh, There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Maybe this doesn't work. Perfect. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I thought I would just recoup. Where are we in Romans? What is our context here? Uh, chapters 1 through 3 is the gospel. God's wrath on man and what he's done to make it that we can come to him. The salvation message. And then Romans 4 and 5, that is our justification. How are we actually made right? It's kind of like a legal argument almost. And then Romans 6 through 8 is a picture of the Christian life. What does it look like now? It's our transformation. So we have our salvation, we have our justification, and now we're looking into our transformation. How does our life change now? And if Romans 3 is the gospel for the sinner, the good news for the sinner, uh, Romans 8 then is the good news for the saved. Romans 7, if you remember, was a back and forth, wow, I want to do the right thing. I try, but I can't. There is something at work within me, sin, and it's against me. And the things I wish I could do, I can't do. And we have this big conundrum, and it kind of ends like, well, where do we go with this? And Paul gives us the answer here in chapter 8. There is a new life. There is a new way. There is a new law at work within us. So let's look into Romans 8 now and see what the answer is to that question. We're going to split it into four parts. There's a lot of concepts in here, like a lot of little things that are all connect together, but each say something you know, new. So I'm going to try my best to hook them together. So we're going to look at our position before God is changed and is made new and is made right. And then because of that, our perspective can start to change. We start to have a new mind. But the only way to do that is if we have the right power. And all said and done, Paul completes it with saying, this is now your purpose. So hopefully we can remember these things throughout the week, eh, throughout the rest of our life, uh, because it's God's word, and God's word is really good. So I'm going to read that verse 1 here. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The first concept Paul brings out here, for us to have this new life, there is no condemnation. What a powerful statement. But what does it mean? You see, if you think way back, before you were born, before Abraham, before Noah, before Cain and Abel, there was a time when man walked with God. Adam and Eve would go out into the garden and literally walk next to God and talk with him. This is something none of us experienced because something isn't right right now. But way back then, they had an intimate relationship with God. Everything was perfect. It was all good. I would love to be in that time. But something changed. Something happened. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story. Adam and Eve made a choice against God. Sin entered the world, and they were sent out of the garden. They were sent away from God. And from that point on, mankind was separated from God. We were condemned in our sin. 
So we're kind of at a sad point right now. We are under condemnation. What does that word mean, to be condemned? It's a legal term, and when a crime is committed, somebody goes out and commits a crime, there are charges brought against them, and then a judge or a jury makes a decision based on those charges. And he says, you are either acquitted or you're convicted. You're vindicated or you're condemned. So there is a crime committed and charge are brought. And every single one of us here, we are condemned. We are said that it is our fault. We did something wrong and it is against us. Romans 5.19, and I'll put the verses up there just if you want to turn to them or write them down. Romans 5.19 says, For as by the one man's disobedience, when Adam disobeyed, the many were made sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So at this point, we are all in a bad place. But luckily for us, it continues on and says, So by the one man, Jesus, obedience, the many will be made righteous. So there is something that changed. There is a way to have no condemnation. There is a way for those charges to be dropped. So this verse, number one, says there is no condemnation. We were all sinners, yet there is something that's going to change. But what set us free? What causes those charges to be dropped, as you could say? Let's read verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So for there to be no condemnation, something had to happen. Let's look at what this new law is. The law of the spirit of life versus the law of sin and death. So when we look at the word law here, it's not saying don't go over the speed limit, don't murder, don't steal, don't kill. That's one way to use the word law, but there's another way to use the word law. Um, in Romans 7, when Paul talks about sin, um, there's two verses, put those up there. He talks about sin and how it seized an opportunity and came to life in him. And he said, so I find it then to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. So in this context, the word law isn't a rule to follow. It's a power. It's a rule that is naturally obeyed or an influence so strong it is just so. And I'm sure most of you are familiar with the law of gravity. If I were to climb on the roof here and then slip off the edge, I'm going to fall and hit the ground. Probably take a trip to the emergency room. If I chuck a bowling ball up in the air, it's going to come back down. We're all familiar with the law of gravity. It's something that is just so. It's a natural law. So Paul is talking about, in us, we have a sin nature. We have the natural man or the flesh, and it's always at work to do something in us. It's an influence so strong, it's almost always just so. You know, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and before you know it, your entire day, you're mean to everybody. You're not thinking of anybody else. You're thinking of yourself. You're arguing. It's just so. I'm sinful, and I just don't do things right. And that's not a good place to be. But then Paul says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free. There's a new law at work here. There's a new influence. There's a new power that is going to work in you to make things different. You see, the old law, and by the old law I mean God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and said, don't do this, don't do that. Wash your hands at this time. Don't work on this day. God gave us these things to follow. That's an external influence on us. So the Ten Commandments could never save. If you remember the Pharisees, 
And Jesus would talk to them and tell them, everything you do is for the outside. Everything you do is for what everybody sees. You pray out loud so everyone hears you. You take your money and you drop it in the tithing bin so loud everybody hears because you want everyone to see the outside is right. But Jesus came to say that it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. And that old law, those rules, those could never change the inside. They could just influence the outside. And all they did was showed you that you don't measure up to God. He gave you the law to say, this is my measurement, and we can never come close. The law doesn't save, it doesn't make you right. It just teaches you something, that you can't do it yourself. But then there is a new law at play here, the law of the spirit of life. Rather than being an external influence, the law of the spirit of life is an internal influence. In 2 Corinthians 3, we read a bit about a new ministry, a new covenant that's at play. If you want some extra reading, uh, the whole chapter is exciting. I was reading it and thought, wow, I wish I could just like read the whole thing, but we don't have time. So if you want to read some cool stuff, go through uh, 2 Corinthians 3. I'm going to read just a few verses from it. Um, in verse 5, it says this, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Just before that, he said, It is not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. See, God didn't come to give you a list to follow. He didn't come to give you a bunch of rules to throw a Bible at you and say, just follow that and you'll be okay. God says, I'm going to write on the tablet of your heart something new. And you see, Adam and Eve had an intimate relationship with God and that was broken. But God wants to fix that. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. We live in a world of sin. We can't be with God physically. But he's starting something at work in you inside on your heart because he cares. There's a really cool passage in Jeremiah 31 in verse 33, it's for the Israelites. I really wanted it to be for us too. It's for the Israelites, really specifically. Um, and this promise shows what God's heart is like towards man. Um, and it really does tie in well with 2 Corinthians 3. It's talking about our hearts. But God, when Israel was at the worst, when they were sinning against God, if you ever read Jeremiah or Ezekiel, it's one of the saddest passages in the Bible, Israel was fully against God. The priests were against God. They were just in full-out sin. Maybe one of us here today is there. We are just in full sin before God, and we know it, and there's nothing you can do. And you're like, i got to clean myself up. i got to get this right. No, you don't. This is what God told Israel when they were at their worst. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God wants his people back. Just because we were sent away in the Garden of Eden, just because Adam and Eve were kicked out, doesn't mean we stay there. That's not the God we serve. He wants us back. There's a new covenant. There is a law of the spirit of life. And it's starting to be at work within us. And we're going to continue looking at that in the next few points. But first, there's another question. How does this actually work? How did these charges, how were they dropped against us? What did God actually do? Well, good thing Paul answers that in verse 3. For God has done what the law, those are all the rules that Moses had, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. 
So there is no condemnation. There is a new law at work here because God has done something. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Something special happened. We were far away from God, but somehow we are being brought back near to him. How did this work? God sent his own son. Jesus came, and he left heaven where everything was right, and he came down to earth where everything was wrong. He lived a perfect life. He didn't do a thing wrong. That's not something any of us can say. But because Jesus lived a perfect life, he was able to die, and those charges were placed on him. When he was put on the cross, God's wrath fell on Jesus, not us. Sin was put upon Jesus, not us. And Jesus died, and he took that to the grave with him. Just before he died, he said, it is finished. He knew that the work was done. For God has done what the law cannot do by sending his son, his son who took the punishment of sin, who took sin himself. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and he condemned sin itself in the flesh. Not just the charges, not just the things we've done wrong, but the nature of sin. That old power, God condemned it rather than condemning us. Death was the cost. For the wages of sin is death. And that cost was paid when Jesus died on the cross. It is finished. Are you glad today that God has done something that we could not do? <laughs> our position before God was once far away. We were against him. But our position now is one of no condemnation. One of God bringing us near because of something that his son did. And this is all going to play together to show us what this new life looks like. So in verse 4, it says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, we're going to start to see something change here. Something's going to start being fulfilled inside of us. And the way that works is when we walk according to the Spirit, when we walk in the right thing. This takes us right to our next point. Because once we are right before God, once our position is good, once we are all set with him, our perspective can start to change. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You see, all of a sudden, our perspective starts to change. We start to think about things differently. When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing you think of? Is it all the things you have to do? Is it all the things you're responsible for? Is it all the things you desire and you want? That's me most of the time, I think, working on it. But the reality is we should wake up every morning saying, Lord, I give this day to you. What is it that you want me to do with my life? I have all these decisions to make, but God, what do you say about it? Where are you setting your mind today? Let's look on the parallel passage here. It just lines up really well with this passage. It's Galatians 5, 14 to 26. Uh, we'll be there for a little bit, so if you want, you could turn there. But this passage is also about walking in the Spirit, and it gives us some more specifics on how that works. So in verse 14, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things that you wish. Just like in Romans 7. Ah, I wish to do the right thing, but I just don't do it, because there's something at work in us. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is, I thought, you know, this is a good time for us all to say something together to wake us up. Because most of us can quote the fruits of the Spirit from memory. Let's say it together. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. This list of things is not put here to tell you what to do, to shame you into being good. Now these things are evidence. What does it mean? It's a great list, but it's not where we're going to start. We're not going to go, okay, today I'm going to do this, 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 and this. No, these things are the fruit of, of your heart. You look back and you look at the evidence and you say, hmm, last week, did I treat my kids with patience? Oh, last week, did I just have desires of my own? And if that's the case, then you are walking in the Spirit. But if some of these other things are showing up in your life, it's time to not make a list and try to fix it. No, it's time to start walking in the Spirit. I was challenged once a long time ago. I was doing some counseling at camp, and I had one camper who was just a fun camper. Difficult. <laughs> I lost sleep because of this camper. I lost free time because of this camper. It was just horrible, and I was getting frustrated. I was like 18, so I was still pretty much a kid myself. And I was having some trouble. The kids were getting on the boats and going in the water, and I wanted to be out there. But this camper was having a temper tantrum, and I had to stick with him. Oh, how horrible. Counseling is hard. Well, the director came up to me and said, Stephen, did you start with prayer? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, before you even had an interaction with this camper, you could have just prayed, said, Lord, help me. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be out loud. But Lord, help me. He reminded me of a verse that says, pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. How does that work? How do we pray at all times? Well, if you're in the Spirit, your reaction to things is going to start to change. If you walk up to a situation and you start with prayer, your mindset's going to be a little different. If you wake up and start with prayer, your whole day is going to be different. If you're about to have an argument with your wife or your children or your boss, but you just stop for half a second and pray, your reaction is going to be different. You see, when you start with prayer and it becomes your natural reaction to everything, before you know it, you're always praying. All of a sudden, a huge bill comes in and you didn't expect it, and you say, oh, I'm just going to trust God with that. Or you can worry about it, and you can stress, and you can think, I'm going to handle this myself. It seems a little bit more peaceful to trust God with that. So this list isn't for you to just start checking things off. This list is to show you what does a life in the Spirit look like. As your mind starts to change, as you start to think about Christ more, these will show up. It's a big task. It seems kind of hard to go into this week and just start changing like that because we're not used to it. It's not natural to us. 
But I have a challenge for you. Look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. He can perfect us. He is the one who is our example. When you're not sure what to do, when you're not sure how to react, when you just think, I can't forgive that person. There's no way. It's been so many years. Jesus is the one who reached out to the blind man that nobody else saw. Jesus is the one who proclaimed no condemnation on the adulteress, the woman who was caught. And they dragged her out and said, Jesus, what would you have done to her? And he said, well, the person without sin, you may throw the first stone. And after everybody walked away, he said to the woman, I proclaim no condemnation on you. You are free to go. Go and sin no more. Jesus is the one who had compassion on the noisy crowds. He shed tears for the people that crowded around him, taking up his time, keeping him from sleep. Jesus had compassion on them. When the noisy children came and the disciples tried to shoo them away, Jesus said, bring the children to me because I love them too. Jesus is the one who, as he died on the cross, the men he created spat on him and put him there and nailed him onto the cross. And rather than trying to get back, rather than being angry, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. When someone does something against you, do you think maybe you could forgive them? Jesus forgave you. When there's somebody in your life that is caught in sin and all you want to do is judge, can you proclaim no condemnation on them? Because that's what Jesus did for you. When you're not sure how to act, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Your mindset is going to start to change when your mind is set on the things of Christ. And the fruit of the Spirit will start to show up in your life. Where is your mindset today? The next verse says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I think every one of us here is looking for peace. When we go home, we look for a quiet spot. When we go to work, we like to make things just right so we have peace. We're looking for peace, but are you looking in the right place? If you set your mind on the flesh, if you set the mind on your own desires, there's just going to be death. But when you set your mind in the spirit, you will have life and peace. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 26.3 says this, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Is your mind stayed on Christ? When you're looking for peace, when you're looking for an answer, what does your mind turn to? To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Verses 7 and 8, Paul just wants to make it really clear. He says, For the mind that is set in the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In case any of you think, maybe there's a chance I can do this. Maybe, maybe I can make myself right. Maybe I can stack up all my good things and they will outweigh the bad. In case that thought is in your head, Paul says, no, that mindset will not please God. So what mindset will? In Romans 12, verse 1, this is a little bit later in our, in our book, but Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect to him. When your mind is renewed, you will know what's good and acceptable to God. But it has to be your mind set on him, not your mind set on yourself. Our perspective needs to change. So our position is right. God says you are not condemned for those who are in Christ. He says, 
I made things right. I have done what needed to be done. The law couldn't do it. But then he says, your perspective also will start to change if you set your mind on Christ. You can find peace. You can find the fruits of the Spirit, that love, the joy, peace, and patience. All of those things will start to show up in your life. For all of this to work, though, there has to be a new law at play, a new power. You see, gravity works all the time. This law never goes away. Yet if you go outside and look in the sky, you'll see birds flying. You might find an airplane. There are things that are in the air. There are things that seem to defy the law of gravity. But why? Not because the law of gravity went away, but because there's a new law at work. Um, somebody that's an engineer might describe this better, but it's like the law of aerodynamics. I'm going to use that word. Is that play here? Gravity still works, but these things have a new law at play that frees them from the bondage of gravity. So where is that power from? How are we freed from the bondage of sin? Well, let's look at the power that is available to us. Verse 9, it says here, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. When your position is right, when God has done everything that needs to be done, there is somebody dwelling within you. The Spirit. You see, in point one, we belong to the Father, and that's a position he made. It's not something you did. If it's something you did, it would probably fall apart. It would change. But when God does something, it stays that way. He sent a comforter. That stays. As Jesus was leaving the earth, you know, he was with his disciples for a couple years, and then he said, I must go back to my father. And they were sad about that. I would be too. If I was with Jesus, and he's like, see you later, I would be like, but I want you to stay here. He said, don't worry. I will ask the father in John 14, 16, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And in 23, Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. In verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, it's going to be a little while before we get to be with Christ again, before we get to be with our Father God. He will do that, and actually, I think it's next week, we're going to learn a little bit about that about the life that follows. But for now, we do have something amazing. They want to make their home with us. And it's not an external thing, it's an internal thing. He will send the Spirit to dwell within us. Does the Spirit dwell in you? Sometimes it's a bit awkward to talk about something like that because we can't see it, but we see the fruits of it, we see the results of it. I have all these stories, I'm not even gonna tell any of them, but there's people that I know that have had a life that was the wrong way. It was going the wrong direction. They were doing things that were horrible. And the Spirit was at work in their life, and you see an immediate change. Sometimes it's a slow change. But if you think back, the, light, the Spirit was at work in your life as well. I'm sure you can think of a story where you were changed, and it's not something you did. The Spirit did it in you. There's that reference for you. So my question is, does the Spirit dwell in you? Because there will be no power for your life to change unless he does. In verse 10, it says this, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
death versus life. You see, when you start off, when you're born, we are born into the family of Adam. Adam sinned, and because of that, we are all sinners. We start off life dead before God. If you continue down that path, that is a path that leads to eternity apart from God. Nothing's going to change for you. But because of Christ, we have life. There is a path to eternity with God. In John 1, 8, let me find that quick right here. In John 1, verse 8, it says this. Hmm. Yeah, I know I have it here somewhere. I don't want to quote it wrong. Well, it goes something like this. For God gave us power to become sons of God to those who believe on his name. In other words, rather than being part of Adam's family, God made it possible to be part of his family for those who believe on his name. The way to access this power, the way to access this position before God, the way to join his family is to believe on his name. Jesus did everything that needed to be done. He died on the cross. He took our sin. All you have to do is believe on that. Can we really believe in it, though? Did God ever do something that powerful? Because it's amazing to think that God could just take your life and change it. Can we trust in him? Is there a guarantee that this power is real? Let's read verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Every time I read that verse, the song pops in my head by Jeremy Camp. The same power that commands the dead to raise, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. If God could raise Jesus from the dead, if he could raise Lazarus from the dead, if that's the kind of power God has, and it says that same power will give life to you, is that something you can trust? You see, when you believe that Jesus did the work for you, when you believe that he died and rose again, you also believe that he has the power to change your life. The Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit leads you to life eternally. And that is true because the Spirit has power. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to you through his spirit. Does the spirit dwell in you? Finally, Paul gives us a purpose. Our position is right before God. We are brought back to him. Our mindset starts to change. Our perspective is right. We receive power to do what needs to be done. And with all that, what is the point of it? What is our purpose? So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Would you rather owe the debt of love to each other, or would you rather pay the wages of sin? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What debt would you rather owe? Romans 12 says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your lives a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What are we called to do? What is the debt we owe? To offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. In other words, everything that you care about doesn't matter anymore. You're going to put that aside, and you're going to live like Christ. He sacrificed himself for you, and we are called to sacrifice ourselves for him. 
We are debtors to Christ, not to our own flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I don't think it could be much clearer than that. What are you living for? Where is your mindset? Because if it's on the flesh, you will die. But if it's on Christ, if your mindset is on him and the things he's done, if you live by the Spirit, then you will have life. In conclusion, we are called to walk in the Spirit. You see, it's a walk and not a work. If you go back home this week and you try to work it out, and you try to do it because you have this inspiration, it's not going to work. The work has been done. You just need to walk. And it's important that you walk in the right thing. I hope you remember the snowshoes and think, wow, I'm walking in my own ways. I'm walking in my own thoughts. I'm just trying to do it myself. And then you say, oh, but you know what? If I walk in the Spirit, He will change my mindset. I can think about Christ. I have the power to do what needs to be done because He is at work within me. Where is your mind today? Have you set your mind on Christ? Or is it on all your responsibilities and all of your desires and all the things you wish you could do? You know, if your mind is set on Christ, he will give you the right desires. You will start to want the right things. Your life will start to look like the fruit of the Spirit. Are you walking in the right thing? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you've done everything for us. There's a bit of pride inside of our hearts that makes us want to do it ourselves. To come to you and say, God, look, I've done it. I brought this to you. I made myself right. But it doesn't work like that. We are dead. We are under the law and the power of sin. And it is only through you, it is only through what you have done, that we can be under this new law. That the spirit of life can be at work within us. That our minds can be changed. We can act more like Christ. We can love each other. But God, help us not to want to do this ourselves because the wages of our sin is death. I pray that if anybody here hasn't made that step to trust in you, to follow you, to let you do the work, I pray that they would consider that. Talk to somebody here. Read these verses and say, God, I give my life to you. It is only through you that I can be made right. Help us to be a living sacrifice for you every day of this week. Every day of our life, help us to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. In Jesus' name, amen.